and welcome to Librarians Allowed, a podcast about librarian journeys. I'm your host, Laura Rooney-Ferris. We're diving back into the Irish librarian pool with this episode's guest, card-carrying member of the Sound Librarian Club, Ruth Talbot. Ruth is the librarian at St. Patrick's Campus, Mary Immaculate College in Tipperary. So Ruth and I caught up a few weeks ago and we had a chat about her path to her current role. So we covered the thorny issue of library internships. Um, We talk about working through organisational change and Ruth fills me in on her experience being a VIP handler as part of her time as a volunteer for the IFLA World Library and Information Congress in July. I also kick off the chat by disclosing my worst kept secret, my hatred of LinkedIn. So I guess I can forget about sponsorship from them. Oh, well. Okay, so Ruth Talbot, welcome to Librarians Aloud. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm good. I have mostly recovered um i unfortunately got covid straight after it but um mm-hmm. i'm mostly recovered thank you for having me i'm a big fan of the podcast so um thank it's you. lovely to talk to you <laughs> today <laughs> yeah um yeah i was looking at as I, I was in my in my uh attempt at preparation for our chat i was looking at, at your your linkedin so you're one of the the many people yeah i know i never look at linkedin um i hate i actually secret confession i hate linkedin don't don't anybody ever contact me through LinkedIn. I hate LinkedIn and I try not to ever look at it. Um, I don't update my LinkedIn very often. Um, but I see you're you're one of the the people who began your library career in. You did a stint in, in UCD. I library. did. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, well, my first actual uh, library experience of working in a library was um, I was in UCC. And um, I had applied to do the master's in in, in UCD and mm-hmm. I was so focused on finishing final year that I didn't really look at the application properly. And I realized I had to get work experience. So my first um, experience of actually working in a library was um, a two week work experience in, in, in UCC, um, mm-hmm. which was great. And they were very good, actually, to kind of give me um experience at everything like I was down in the health sciences library they sent me up to acquisitions to do a bit of processing they sent me down to special Mm. collections and it was kind of the first yeah I I was just like I love this I really like this and I I enjoyed Mm. all the aspects of it which was you know um because I hadn't even though I like I loved books when I was a kid and I loved reading and I I kind of was like oh yeah maybe I'd like to be a librarian or work work in a bookshop something to do with books um I hadn't ever really thought of it as a career um until I was living in Cork and I saw um a job for Cork County Council for the library and um and I'd missed the deadline but um I went researching and I was like oh oh right you need a master's to be a librarian so that was kind of where the journey started um for me um so I did the degree in UCC and then applied to do the master's and then when I went to UCD I actually did the the two-week work experience kind of prep for 
um, sills. And out of that, actually, um, it was a great thing to do. But out of that, actually, I got offered um, a night in Richview Architecture Library. And then they mm-hmm. rang me a week later and asked for a week in or asked for a night in the James Joyce as well. So that was lovely. And it kind of started my I don't want to say affiliation, but I have seemed to have a tendency mm-hmm. to work in small libraries. Um, so I had the experience of being in, in Richview in a small library um, and also then being in the James Joyce um, on the desk in the very, very in the busyness of it all. Um, and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I loved both of them. You know, they were they were a great kind of training ground. And at the time, you know, um, we'll get on to it, but like. I was in college and graduated smack bang in the middle of the recession and trying to get any library job um, or even trying to get a paid library job was or any job. Yeah, yeah, um, almost impossible. So it was great to have those um, that nine months experience there. Um, yeah, and they were both very different. Like James Joyce, obviously, it's a really big library. You know, there's four floors. Um, but I got the experience of answering questions at the desk and kind of helping people out and kind of getting I, I really like that when someone would come up and they'd be looking for something and you'd, you'd be able to help them find it that was great and then mm-hmm. down in Richview I think because it was a little smaller they were like oh would you like to do this job as well or that job so I was able to kind of have a little bit of experience um in 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 both a small and a big library which was um which was great I really enjoyed that actually it was lovely yeah um, yeah. And all under the same kind of umbrella, part of the the same library, but two different, yeah. very different experiences. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like yeah. exactly what you want in in work experiences to get a, a sampler of of everything. So yeah, a good endorsement of of both UCC and uh, UCD libraries there. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and they were very sampler. good to me. Yeah, they were very good to me in in terms of trying to give me experience as well. You know, um, which I really appreciated. You know. Um, it was great. Um, but then I graduated and obviously like and went basically straight on the dole because <laughs> there was just <laughs> nothing. Um, and then um, I, I was because the only thing basically available at that and point was that was, something that kind of going in, um, you know, when and or even while you were doing the, the course in UCD, was that something that you were sort of prepared for that they, you know, the 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 landscape at the time was was um, difficult and that it would probably take a, a lot of time I, and a lot of shorter contracts before something would come up i didn't realize it going in um mm. and you know because i had been in ucc and i you know one or two lectures had offered me you know said you know what you'd be really good to do a masters and i was like no 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 i don't want to do a masters in english literature it's, we're in the middle of a recession i'm gonna go mm. and get a proper job <laughs> <laughs> and then i got to ucd and realized oh god there's no library jobs either so i didn't know going in but by the end of it i was very much aware of the mm. the landscape that i was i was coming into um, and we all were, I think, aware of it. Um, and we were also a lot of us were in the situation as well where, you know, I had gotten some work experience, but, you know, you're applying for jobs and you're in this terrible position of you can only get a job if you have experience. But the only way you can get experience is to get a job. Yeah. Um, it's actually was, one of the biggest barriers probably to um, to entering the library profession is yeah. that sort of, you know, chicken and egg situation where you do need to have a little bit of experience 
even just for the the most entry level library job because it's it's quite different to what people perceive it to be so even though you know job spec for an entry level like library assistant can say things like well if you've got good customer service skills which is true if you have good customer service skills and you're used mm. to kind of dealing with people and you know you're quite good at sort of thinking on your feet then then you should with the right kind of team around you and with the right management to be able to get stuck in and be able to help people but it's it's difficult if you have no frame of reference and you have no library experience so it, it is can be a big barrier. It was it is, and at the time there were just no jobs. I mean, we were, you know, a word would get out that there was a job available. I think a job came up in, in a law in one of the law libraries. And I mean, God almighty, like the world spread like wildfire and everyone applied for it, you know. Yeah. And there was 60 or 70 of us on that course. Um, and even during the course, actually, um, they had people in to talk to us about, oh, this is what you can do outside of libraries with a li- with a master's. Mm. And I, I get it. But I think I know for me personally, I was like going, I want to, I want to be a librarian. I want to work in a library. Um, yeah. I'd probably have a different perspective on it now. And, you know, I, I was lucky it worked out for me. But, you know, maybe I would have gone down a different road. But I think at the time, a mm. lot of us were kind of like, OK, so you are giving you want us all to become librarians. But at the same time, you're like going, but these are all the jobs you can do outside of libraries as well. So yeah. although I see that perspective, like having yeah. worked with students myself, mm. I I always tried to sort of, you know, introduce that idea of this is a yeah. qualification that you're that you're getting. And it's it's not exclusively um, associated with these limited environments because I think there yeah. is a bit of a tendency to just assume it's the public libraries or it's the academic mm. libraries or maybe you might work in a hospital library but there's not a huge amount of stretching into thinking well I know how to do this this and this and this is how I can apply that that in different yeah. ways it, it's probably coming around a little bit more now I think there's more people who come from a traditional librarianship background and have been able to move their skill set and translate it into different um working settings and, and being able to see the value of you know things like information organization and information architecture yeah absolutely but yeah i think particularly it's, it's a bit hard to see that if you're you know an mls student and you've come in thinking well i want to work in a public library or an academic library and then someone's coming in and saying to you oh well there's <laughs> no jobs you but there, you, you can, can do work somewhere that things. you don't want to yeah yeah um, you, you, you um, probably need to have the work experience kind of frame of reference to be able to come to that conclusion yeah yourself. yeah I think so I think so um but yeah no I I did the master's and um I spent three four months in the dole and then obviously at the time the there was the job bridge program uh which I have <laughs> the old <dreaded laughs> job bridge program yeah love hate um, relationship for librarians with that I love hate relationship an opportunity but it did. It did. Um, very problematic. And um, I'll try not to be too spicy in my takes about it. Now, I, you know, I ended up. <laughs> <I'll> spice away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ended up in a, um, I got a position in the Royal College of Physicians um, mm-hmm. with the wonderful Harriet Wheelock, who's, you know, amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And I absolutely loved it. I really did. Um, I went in to catalogue the Kirkpatrick collection, the pamphlets, um, and I absolutely loved it I really really did and Harriet as well was great um you know she she took it very seriously 
um you know she sat down with me we'd have a meeting and she actually was really encouraging you know we'd have a meeting once a month and she'd say okay well what would you like to do so she was really offering me opportunity so I said you know I'd like to write a piece for the blog and she said grand Mm -hmm. you know um I'd like to give tours of the college and she made sure I was involved in any exhibitions that came up um so by the end of it I had lots of things that I could put on my CV not mm-hmm. just the cataloging and working in, in you know, um, in that library for um, nine months, I think it was. But she was also kind of quite protective of me as well. Um, yeah. You know, once or twice because I was an intern, um, once or twice she might get a phone call from, you know, some of the bigger offices saying, oh, you know, is Ruth available, basically. And I did go over and help. And it was it was good to get mm-hmm. experience in other aspects of the organization. But she would also sometimes just say, no, I'm sorry, she's actually really busy today. So so she was she was really great at protecting me like that as well yeah. um, in terms of making sure that I was there to work in the library. I was not there to be pulled out to do photocopying um, because somebody was like going, oh, well, the intern can do it. So I and I really, really appreciated that. Um, I think that's the way to do it. Do mm. it right. If you if you are going to get somebody in on an internship like that, then you know, there's a, a responsibility on you to make sure that they aren't just seen as somebody yep. who can be passed around from department to department to department and they, they need there needs to be sort of a you know almost a an agreement going in or a memorandum of understanding between you and the person who you're, yeah. you're working directly with that there there's a mentorship and yeah, and, and she was kind of she was great. And any courses that came up, any CPD, she was like, right, go and do it. You know, um, you know, we had one on psychometric testing or something, and she was like, go along, mm-hmm. it'll be good. You know, she they asked me to present or to chair the one of the executive myself and the other communications intern to chair the executive team meeting. So they were very good at giving me lots and lots of experience. I think the only downside of it was I was getting paid an absolute pittance you know yeah. um the job bridge at the time was the dole plus 50 euro but um what I didn't realize actually um because I was actually on a lower rate of dole because I hadn't been working very much and I was when I got the job I was thinking oh my god I'll get the full rate of dole plus the 50 and they were like mm-hmm. no 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 you get your current rate of dole plus 50 so I was on less than 200 euros a week um now I was very lucky I was living with my brother um, so he was like, look, don't worry about rent, but it costs money yeah. to go to work. It, it yeah, costs money it to go to work. Um, you know, even at the start, I mean, I'd been a student for four or five years. I did not have any kind of office suitable wardrobe. Um, so I, I scoured all the charity shops, basically. Um, you know, your your bus fare, your transport, it costs money to go to work. And and I took it. Especially I had a in Dublin. Job. Like, it's not, a, yeah. it's not a cheap city to just do anything and like even just a simple thing like just going out to get yourself a coffee that adds up over time you know yeah yeah when you're used to doing it um you take for granted but exactly it's just another one of those barriers to entry it is and you know I had a second Saturday job I was invigilating you know so I had a bit of money but I was living on very very little and I was working six days a week um and like they were they were great and they really did actually I think they even asked could they give me you know extra money or pay for my bus ticket and they were told absolutely not mm-hmm. you know they could have done it you know maybe and they they were 
they wanted it to be above board and they were absolutely correct. I mean, the job bridge was great for getting the experience, but, you know, some people say, oh, yeah, but, you know, you got to where you are. And I was like, yeah, but would you work for less than four euros an hour? For but the months? other part of that argument is um, from the employer's perspective, they gained a lot from having you. With yeah. Them. Even if you had spent your time, I know we're jokingly saying you don't want to be taken off and just doing both. Yeah, yeah. But even if they, if you had been doing that, you know, it was a, you'd been doing that, then that would have been you know, a poor decision on their part to decide to mm. use your skills and expertise that way. But that said, if they'd asked you to do it, then clearly that was a job that needed to be done. And yeah, yeah. And I, I, I did go over and get, you know, I did go over and I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't, it wasn't like I wasn't over there in other sectors of the building helping out or doing whatever needed to be done. Um, but I think actually something that myself and Harriet discussed as well, like I had spent nine months cataloguing the Kirkpatrick pamphlet collection and I also did the Fleetwood collection while I was there and she said I'm going to lose all that knowledge now you know that collection now because you've catalogued mm. it so there is that idea of getting in an intern or getting somebody in for a short period of time to do a job they actually build up a huge amount of institutional knowledge that you end up losing then when that person goes you mm. know especially for something like a, a collection like that mm. it's a special collection and the 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 the, the tactile and the, yeah the, the visceral experience of handling it and dealing with yeah, it yeah. intimately like that is part of the understanding of its value and its yeah its status yeah and even just knowing it so when somebody says you know oh do we have and you're like oh do you know what actually I came across something like that I remember that um so you move you lose all that but I I absolutely loved that job um it was a fascinating like the history of medicine um like it's a social history it's an economic history it's it's a political history um and I I absolutely loved that you know um I would have stayed there forever if they paid me <laughs> mm, exactly but I think you know that it also illustrates just how poorly funded some of our cultural institutions are or were back then I think the, the um there is mm. more opportunity now and there's more funding available and more understanding probably of how valuable those collections are just in, yeah. in terms of our wider cultural um, offerings. And yeah, the, the and I, I do think as well, you know, I mean, I was like I said, I was lucky I was living with my brother like, you know, it's not feasible for, you know, it is a huge barrier to entry to the profession if you can't afford to pay somebody to do it. And I mean, I even to this day now, I would give somebody two weeks work experience in a heartbeat to get them the experience or two weeks work experience. But anything longer than that, I would be insisting that they get paid for it. And maybe some people might say, oh, well, that's stopping people getting necessary experience. And I'm like, going, yes, but it is also creating a massive barrier for a huge section of people who you know, maybe want to join the library service or maybe want to get experience in a library, but just can't. I mean, how many wonderful people have we maybe not had in the library service because they're just going, you know what, I I, I need a paying job, basically. Well, it's, you know, if we're, and we regularly do have conversations about our obligations in our yeah. um, workplaces, and particularly you and I both work in, I currently work in an academic um, environment, um, our EDI responsibilities, you know, how do we make our work environments more inclusive, more diverse? Well, there's you know, point number one is what, what what stops that person getting through the door to begin with? Like you're exactly. talking about 
you had the advantage of being able to stay with your brother, so that was good. But you were coming to Dublin, which is not a you know, cheap city by any means to live mm. in. Um, a lot of those opportunities are in Dublin, so it excludes people who are from you know, living yeah. any distance really outside of the city, and it mm. excludes people who just don't have the means to not really be paid for. Exactly. And I think if we're trying to champion, just without being spicy about it, if we're trying to say we're champions for social justice, we kind of have to start yeah. with ourselves and our I profession as well. Like, when, I, when I was hiring interns, I had people in for projects that it was always, they were coming in for projects and they were paid. I've never yeah. paid yeah. anybody on a... No, I, I wouldn't do it either. I'd, I'd give somebody... T- two weeks work experience but I after that if it was anything longer than that I was like no they have to be paid they absolutely have to be paid you know um but my next I was in physicians actually and then by the luck of God really to be honest with you because you know there was nothing really still at at the end of it coming up I got a I got an an email from Arcline. I had put my name down with them mm-hmm. and they a position in the National Library, a cataloging, a four, three, four month cataloging position um, had come up and they were looking for people. And I was like, oh, my God. And the physicians had actually offered me a kind of temporary kind of admin position, not in the library, but in their, their main building. And I, I kind of felt almost guilty kind of turning it down. But they were again they were delighted for me because I was like oh, I'm really sorry and they were like for God's sake go this is yeah. what you want to do God I'm really proud of you go and do it um so that was a three yeah I started in probably the September and it ran until about the January um it was cataloging ephemera for the decade of commemoration and that mm-hmm. was just brilliant I love that that was like you know election posters and leaflets and little bits and pieces and oh my god it was amazing just all of there was such an amount stuff. of work generated from from that big body of work that that was done with the national library yeah we're, we're, we're benefiting from it now because we we have access to those collections but yeah the investment in doing that work benefited so many people I know with so many librarians who who worked with Arcline on those projects for various periods of time um so you know it 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 had such a, a ripple effect of of ongoing impact and benefits so yeah we've got to start cataloging those collections and yeah, what a fascinating, like it's it's an absolutely fascinating period in Irish history. It's a very turbulent period in Irish history. It's a very sad period in Irish history in some respects. Um, but you're just kind of, I, I think I, I catalogued something one day written by Michael Collins and I just nearly lost my mind out of, you know, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> afraid to touch it. Yeah, like I was just like, oh my God, Michael Collins wrote this, you know, and stuff written by Emma de Valera. Um, it was just great, like, and just... It was it was fascinating. I think one of my favourite ones was discovering what was playing in the Gaiety, um the week of the rising, which was a Gilbert and Sullivan, you know, piece. there was Gilbert and Sullivan performances on. And I was just like, what a wonderful thing to know that the week of the rising over in the Gaiety, there was um, Gilbert and Sullivan performances going on, which I just thought was <clears throat> but adding so context. These collections. It's, yeah, it's and it was understanding. Yeah, like we're in the, the week now of the, the, the centenary of um, assassination of, of my uncle Collins mm. so you know a lot of this material is what has given us a, an understanding of it maybe that's that's a bit 
less kind of charged with all yeah. the historical and political context. You know, if we're able to just look at aside from where, yeah. where we stand kind of politically, but even like, just, just to get a, kind of what was going on and what what people just what are people yeah you know there was everything in there like what was happening in the cultural sphere yeah or even like a shopping bill you know just giving a context and like what was how was the what was the city like at the time you know what was going on around all of these you know because you always think of just the big things but what was daily life like for people um yeah. I love those postcards around um you know people's responses to the first couple of days around the rising and there are some where people are just complaining about the trams not running so it's very easy to yeah that because if something was kicking off in, up in city central now what's the first thing people would be complaining about it would probably be just like the transport not running on time mm-hmm. or yeah, you know, yeah. i have to get to this appointment and i didn't get there and so you know you kind of think that everyone's caught up in the the big picture of it but actually their their major concerns are i could, couldn't get from a to b that day and it really pissed me off <laughs> Yeah, and I think it just adds flavour and richness to historical events that it's not just, it, it, yeah, just this, this kind of flavour and richness. It's not just thinking of this one single event, but all of the other little things and people living their lives that was that were going on around it. Um, so that was the National Library. I love that. And they were very good there as well. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And then um, a job came up because obviously I was you know I knew this was kind of a temporary contract um mm-hmm. so I was still frantically looking for work and I spotted the library job in St Pat's St Patrick's College Perlis as as it was then um and sent in the CV and got word just before Christmas actually that the, I'd been successful and like well go come for an interview so I had that interview in the January January 2013 um and got a phone call that evening to say I'd gotten the job. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe I hadn't read it properly, which doesn't bode well, <laughs> which is kind of bad. <laughs> but I had been interviewed by uh, the president, Father Tom, and another person, and Ailish, the librarian. And, mm. you know, when I was talking to Father Tom, I said, you know, I'm really looking forward to working with Ailish. And he said, no, 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 Ailish is leaving. You're, you're getting her job. And I was like, but what? I can't, like. yeah slightly kind of like me but no I don't think that's good no um but obviously I said yes um yeah and I was basically like right I'm moving to Thurless um Mm. so that's what I did and did you have any connection with the place before or was it just um well I do have a slight connection uh well it Basically, it was a job came up like my mother is from Tipperary. She grew up in well, she was born in Clonmel and she grew up in a place called Commons just outside Ballangarry. And I do have relations probably about 10 miles outside of Thurlis. But um, so I knew Thurlis um, slightly, but I mean, I would have gone anywhere for a job at the same time. Like I was, you know, yeah. it was just me. I didn't I, I wasn't in a relationship. I didn't have kids or anything like that. So. I was willing to move to where the job would go, would be, um, if necessary. Well, and it was necessary. Um, so, yeah, I started here then in January 2013. Um, and that was interesting as well, because I came in um, to a small library. There was another library assistant and then um, somebody who worked a couple of hours, six hours a week. Um, so I came in as kind of a solo librarian in a very, very small library. Um, and 
you know, St. Pat's is a teacher training, initial teacher education for post-primary. Um, but we were quite small. We were 270 students, I think, at the time. Um, so it was basically starting, yeah, getting to know that. Um, and was I that a spent... big shock to the system kind of coming in? Your two previous roles had been working very closely with kind of very specialist collections. And now all of a sudden you're like, right, I'm here. It's, it's, <laughs> it's on me. I mean, it's the library and there's students and there's, there's lots yes. of different competing demands coming at you. Yes, um, it was a shock to the system. Now, funnily enough, you know, it's a small library. It's an old building. I seem to work in small libraries and in very like this building is um, 100, 180 years of age. There is actually a gorgeous um, library downstairs that I have yet to catalogue and get my hands on. Um, but it was a very different experience. I spent the last year cataloguing um dealing with collections and then having to get used to everything and also kind of coming in being the person in charge you know mm-hmm. um and trying to have a sense of how I should do things um and working in a small library it has its advantages and its challenges like the one great thing about it was like I'm a bit of a magpie um I love everything about librarianship to be honest with you, like I love cataloging, um, I love acquisitions, I love dealing with students. So that was great that I like I really enjoyed every single aspect of it. And actually, as a, in a small library, uh, in a small college, you got to know people very quickly, you know, mm. um, you got to know your colleagues very quickly, you got to know the students very quickly. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a shock to the system. Um, but it was it was a great experience and you know I loved it I really enjoyed it It took a while to settle in I will say I think my first week when I was still getting to grips with the library management system um, I managed to send out basically final overdue notices to everybody including lecturers like the the final final one that basically says return your books or we'll come after you and I had literally two days beforehand sent an email going hi I'm the new librarian and if you have any questions you know and then two days later I sent out the <laughs> yeah I would blame that on the, the library management system <laughs> <laughs> unpleasant library management systems I'd say well you see then that should have all been automated you should never have been able to do that yeah I was getting grips to getting getting to grips with it um so uh, I got a couple of like oh um, I got this email. <laughs> um, but aside from that, no, I loved engaging it. Engaging with you, though. <laughs> huh? Got people engaging with you pretty quickly, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Um, staff members included. No, they they took it in good spirits. I'm really sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, and I was here. And um, I mean, at the time, the college had been um, earmarked for, for closure. So um, I knew coming in. So I was kind of on contracts. Um, you know, it was initially a six month contract and then it was extended then for a year um, and then extended then again for another year. But we were aware that, you know, the college was in a, in a wind down process, basically. Um, but obviously, you know, we were negotiating, you know, the college was negotiating and trying to find other avenues. And then they started the process then of integration with um, MIC, Mary I, in 2015. So in 2016, we became MIC Thirdless, um, which was a, an experience. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I think that's an experience that many of us are getting used to now, particularly in, mm. the, um, in the higher education sector in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. 
the Institutes of Technology consult. Mm. It's been a lot of like it's it's just been a, a, a continuing theme over the last kind of five years since this consolidation of. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, I had a slightly odd experience because they had come in, you know, and but they they had imposed a cutoff point of if you're working here X number of years, you just basically transfer straight over. But below mm-hmm. that, you'll have to reapply. And I missed that cutoff point by about six months. So um, I basically had to ended up in the position of having to reapply for my job Um while also trying to, you know, work and oversee an integration with another library, um, which was a very strange experience. Like I was very upset initially, um, but I had to get over it and get on with it. But also doing the integration and, you know, having meetings with, you know, the library staff in Nimerick um, going, well, this is how I want it to be done, knowing that I might not necessarily be going, you know, trying to do the best integration, but also kind of going, well, I think it should be done this way, knowing that it might not necessarily be me who was in the library in the September. Um, I will say the library staff in Limerick were great. I mean, Anya Finucane, she was um, she was the acting head librarian at the time, Geraldine, um, the librarian was on a career break. She's the, Anya's the librarian now. Um, she rang me a week after the announcement was made. So we started talking very early. We started talking a week. So we gave ourselves plenty of time and we had lots of discussions um, about how it should be done or how this was going to work or how that was going to work um, mm. and and all those kinds of things. Um, and they were great. They were really, really good. So by the time, you know, we had the first students in in September as MIC students, we were we were good to go. We could hit the ground running. But I think the like the integration process. It's you could say it's mostly done, but also I think it's still going on, you know, yeah. um, I think the the great thing about um, the library, my library colleagues in Limerick is like there is, you know, we are part of a larger institution now and it has great benefits. But there's also a recognition that in a smaller library, you know, you can be a bit more flexible or there, there's a need for flexibility. Like what works in Limerick may not necessarily work in Thurless. You know, they have a much bigger collection. They have a much bigger staff complement, you know. Yeah. Um, so they can do things that we can't do, but also we can do things that they can't do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's been there's a lot of discussion, you know, um, but what I appreciate as well is like Anya and, and Georgie and my previous boss, they're like they put a lot of trust in me. They're like. You run the library, you know, obviously, you know, yeah. within reason, but I had a lot of kind of autonomy to to kind of make suggestions or to make points or to say, well, this is the way it should be done here. Um, and my colleagues in Limerick are great. They have their own jobs to do. But, um, you know, Anya Lynch, the systems librarian, Emma. Um, acquisitions and Gary who's in user services I have convers. I'm across everything it's like when you're in a small library you're in every department you know Um, and in when you get integrated then with the larger library there are those discussions in terms of who's taking charge of this and who's taking charge of that Um, but we're a good team and you know I think we you know we work we work well together obviously I got the job I should say yeah exactly so it worked out well but like it's Mm. it's it's an example of just like what the the complexities of these um yeah. are and that it you know it's a it's a tough lesson to learn having you've not been there for that that long and you know when you ask those questions about how do you manage change like it, it's a it's mm. an 
a necessary skill to learn like it's it's a reality of the jobs we do sometimes you are you know having to take responsibility and ownership for things that you know you're planting trees that won't <laughs> shade you won't sit under like you're having yeah. to do something well and hand it over and it, yeah not everyone's able to adapt to that and I say that from experience I haven't seen plenty <laughs> <of the past. laughs> yeah it's 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 definitely it taught me it's definitely a really collaborative process and it has to be it's not just a cooperative process it's a collaborative process and you know we had some miscommunications you know um it was about not being precious as well being open to change like not just saying well I wanted to work this way and I, I'm not going to do it if it doesn't it was about being open to change and kind of going well how is this going to work for everybody you know because you're all on the same team at the end of the day you know and the goal is to provide a great or the most excellent library service you can for the students that's your goal um yeah. well that's what I feel the goal is um and so there should be yes that's why that's you know uh, and I had to kind of you know put things aside that I you know wanted to do and you know sometimes I can be a bit oh I don't like change um we can all but, bit, but yeah safe. but so it was a great exercise in collaboration and, and change management and and learning and, and really kind of trying to communicate in ways that suits everybody you know um but I think we've yeah and like we're still doing it now like you know um like I said you know things work in Limerick don't necessarily work in Thurlis, you know, um, and finding ways to, to make that work for everybody, you know. Yeah. It sounds like there was good, um, there was good initial leadership from you know, the, the senior library managers. Yeah, there was, there was really good. The, the, the connections, all the other stuff I find, if you try and build good relationships, the other stuff should fall into place and the collaboration should be easier if you feel like you can trust person you're working with but that's easier said than done yeah yeah and it's also like you know my job is to advocate for my library that's my job you know and you know that's 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 I, I really think that's a really important part of the role like you are part of the team but also my job is to advocate for the library here and it maybe took me a while to kind of get comfortable with that position to be not afraid to kind of say well you know I want to do what's best for Thurlis obviously for the organization as a whole but obviously I want to do what's best for the library here um, and for the students here um, and to not be afraid to say that and to not be afraid to say, well, can we tweak this a little so that this works for everybody? Because um, I think that's an important part of the job is, especially in a small library, but even in a large library. Um, I did a course called Advocacy on Shushed a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, it was great. And one of the things that it did teach me, and I know Cahal was talking about this, was like, you can't just sit there and advocate for the library in times of crisis it's an ongoing thing that you have to be doing all the time um yeah and, and I really kind of I was like oh, I never thought of it like that that library advocacy is an ongoing daily process you know um and it's your responsibility particularly in a small library to be constantly advocating for the library it just and just by making yourself visible now I have wonderful colleagues here and um, the lecturers here are great I know them all really well um, and they're very helpful if I'm looking for something or if I want to publicize something uh, with students um, you know I teach information literacy mm -hmm. and um, when I started it 
because uh, it was lunchtime workshops initially. And I was like, no, I want a timetable hour for first years. And I got it, which was another thing in maybe a smaller college. You would not necessarily mm-hmm. get that in a larger college. Um, and when I started that, I just said it to the, the lecturers. I said, look, can you please publicize this? So it wasn't just coming from me saying, oh, this course is on the timetable. But also the lecturers were saying, this is really good. You should do this course because it's not it's not accredited module yet um uh that's for future plans in another podcast yeah but um, that, that, you've made great headway like to get to get it mm, and have the yeah. lectures with it and have it timetabled you know, don't don't underestimate that that's a huge step yeah and i did i presented it then to our i did a kind of case study a kind of two-year kind of how it came about what we're doing what i'd like to do and i presented they asked me to or like i was i invited to present it to our interdepartmental research group and they were really interested as well and that's the thing about you know again being in a smaller college um they're like yeah come and present in our research group we'd love to know what you think and and you're involved in conversations now i make sure to do that work as well you know i don't just want to sit up in the office and assume people will come up to me you know i make the i do make the effort sitting in the office and waiting for people to come to you is that's the way model ever works um that's that's the way to isolate yourself well yeah like to get out of that attitude of like if you build it they will come no you need to get out there and 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 make the library visible and and especially here as well like the library is the heart of the college you know students come to me and ask me all kinds of questions you know where can I do this where can I do that where can I do the other um and I will always give them an answer you know um i might not have the answer but i will always try and help them because my view on it is you know if they're if they come and ask you a question and you're like well that's something to do with me go over there the time when they really need help they won't come because they'll say i'm not going to her or she every time i go to her she sends me somewhere else so and that's really important as well in a smaller library that you have to be you have to recognize that the library is the information center for the students you know um, and to be aware of that and to pay attention to that, that when students are coming to ask questions, that you answer the question, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. um, whether it's to do with like. It's recognition of you know the responsibility of that as well and the vulnerability yeah. mm-hmm. that somebody has whenever they're coming to you and asking yeah. you, even if it isn't your area, you should at least be able to point them in the right direction yeah. and reassure them. Yeah, exactly. And then when they come, when they do have questions about the library or about, you know, whatever is to do with information literacy or whatever it is, they'll know that they can come and ask you the question, you know, um, that's important. It's really, really important. Yeah, especially when dealing with students. Yeah. You yeah. forget how young they are. Things before. The, the older I get, the, the younger I see um, undergraduate students as being just that there are so many other things going on in their life. The yeah. Very, very simple things, just a bit of compassion. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's also as well, like, I mean, um, you know, our library is quite small. And before we got extra rooms at it, it was very small. Um, you know, it was one one library and then a computer room and that was it. And I might get in trouble for saying this, but I was always very protective of the library as that quiet space. You know, I am a bit of a shushy librarian in the in the library, not in the computer room or in the group study rooms. But I was always really protective of it because I was like and even before COVID, I was like, you know what? 
this might be the only quiet place that a student has to study. You know, you don't know what's going on with their home life. Um, it might be as simple as a student who's a parent who can come into the library for an hour or two and get some work done. A student might have caring responsibilities at home and the library is their place. You don't know what their living conditions are like, particularly nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I was always very much aware of that, that, you know, the library is a quiet space for the students to study. Now, it's been great now we've added the group study rooms and the collaborative spaces so they can work in groups. And I was, you know, when we were refurbishing the library, that was my biggest thing. I was like, they don't have any place where they can work in groups and this they're missing out. Um, but I do think it's important and to have the library um, or to have an area of a library as a quiet space where a student yeah. can come and study in peace and quiet, in safety, in warmth, in comfort. Um, and during COVID, I was just so worried about it. I was like, oh, God, you know, we all had to go home and basically figure it out. And the students did as well. And mm -hmm. I was just so worried about them. You know, it was like, what kind of. They don't all necessarily have Wi-Fi at home. They don't all necessarily have computers at home. They don't all necessarily have laptops at home. Um, so I was really heartbroken. They don't all necessarily, as you said, you don't have comfort and have safety. Yeah, yeah. You just don't know what people are are dealing with in their living no. circumstances, and you know it is it is on a very basic level part of kind of the service that we offer as yeah. an library space that it. It's a place that you can come in and if you need to stay there all day to get work done. Yeah. Then you should be able to do that. Yeah. And a place where you can come and there's there's peace and quiet. You can go off and go to other areas and have group chats and all the rest. But to have that peace and quiet for people, I think, you know, they may not have that at home for whatever reason. And I think it's an important part of being able to, you know, a good library service. I know, you know, oh, a quiet library, but I, I really. <laughs> well, I think you made you quite right. You made the point there. Like I, I'm, I'm not big on quiet libraries. I'm big on a space to go into in a library mm. that you know is going to be quiet. But I also yeah. nice that we need the collaborative spaces too because. Oh yeah, so absolutely. Even even if you do, if you might, you might have the quiet space at home, but you probably don't have the space to have four or five people around a table and work yeah. on a project together not many people have that especially students if you're living in prompt accommodation you don't have yeah. a suitable space for doing group work and a lot of college work is group work now at least some significant percentage of it so we also need to be aware of the way that they need to work and that there isn't just one yeah yeah one size that isn't just about a single quiet space it's about Oh, areas. absolutely. And when so we were activities. Yeah, when we were refurbishing there, when we were, you know, extending a bit a couple of years ago um, and adding a couple of rooms, I was insistent that they would be group rooms. They would be collaborative spaces um, because I was aware that it was something that we were sorely lacking, you know, and it's been a massive success. You know, they love it. You know, they like the and funnily enough, it has actually made the the library, the, the quiet space actually quieter, you know, because they know yeah. they can go in and study in there, but they can also go out the back um, and we set them up and they can, um, you know, they can go in, they can work on projects. Um, one of the things actually in one of my philosophies um, is kind of small changes, big impacts, you know, because when we were doing the, the group rooms um, or when we were thinking about what we were doing, you know, I went down to, I went down to, I spoke to Michelle Breen of UL 
Um, mm. And I went down and she was talking about in the group rooms how they'd put up lovely screens so that they could, you know, practice presentations. And I was like, oh, that's great. Mm. I definitely want that. And I went to talk to the students union as well and the class reps and kind of say, well, this is what I'm thinking. Um, you know, what do you think? And they were like, that all sounds wonderful. That's brilliant. And then one student said, Ruth, could you put whiteboards in the rooms? And I was yeah. like, OK. And they said, you know, we have to go on. You know, they're they're training to be teachers and it sounds so simple. It's such a simple thing. But just even practicing writing on a whiteboard or practicing demonstrating teaching writing on a whiteboard. And I was like, brilliant. Um, and I put them in. And even to this day now, it's so funny. Um, but it's it's one of those things that's just you're like, this is great that we did it. Um when there there's open days and we're given library tours, the students will say, and they had the whiteboards here, it's great for practicing. A simple thing, you know, a really small, simple thing has had a yeah. massive impact. Users like direct dialogue because mm. sometimes they'll just say something and it's it's something that you can literally go out and do immediately. Yeah, exactly. And that you don't, you know, you don't have to put a budget proposal together for it. Yeah. You don't have to get passed through a load of gatekeepers you don't have to get anybody's approval you don't have to get builders in sometimes it actually it's like people can make a suggestion and it's like why did I never think of that because you're not wearing you know you're not wearing their head you know you're, yeah. you're not coming at it from their perspective they can sometimes just say something and you're like that's so simple and yet it's going to solve a problem yeah and it was it's really effective it was great it was great you know so how long have you been there now um I realized that I will, well, I'll be in Thurless 10 years in January, <laughs> oh. which is, um, I nearly passed out when I realized it was 10 years. Um, I know we lost like two years to COVID, but um, yeah, I'm here 10 so years now. So those two years are kind of like five years, really. Yeah. Um, and like, we're now, into them. yeah, we're, you know, we're now 540 students. So, you know, we've gone from 260, 70, I think, when I started to 540, which doesn't might not sound like a lot, but is huge. Um, and we're growing all the time. We're adding courses. Obviously, you know, the integration with MIC, you know, we do have access to more resources and, and more facilities and stuff like that. Like, you know, um, but it's great. I love it. But I'm still, you know. I still love the kind of day to day of it Um, dealing with students on a daily basis. We're still small enough, you know, that you do get to know them, the students really well um, and get to see them progress from first years to fourth years. It's 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 wonderful. It's wonderful. I love it. I wouldn't do anything else. Yeah. So you're firmly established now in the academic library world. Yeah. The the special collections again. I, I I would um if I could I'd take a year's sabbatical and disappear down to the lovely Croke Library <laughs> um and and catalogue that I'd love to get my hands on it and do it um I do you know it would take a lot to make me leave but then again like I said if something came up you know that like going back to maybe a special collections I might be out of it a bit too long at this point but um. I love having access to, you know, I love like to this day, I still love cataloging, shelving, you know, dealing with students, teaching information literacy, you know, collaborating with colleagues on research projects, you know, um, it's busy, but uh, 
you know, maybe a bigger library would be, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, no, my God, I'd love the, the, the budget of a bigger library and the staff complement of a bigger library. It's but... never big enough, no matter how big your budget is. Like, well, that's it. Exactly. Very small ones and very big ones. Yeah. It's never it's never enough either. Way. No, no, no. I'd always look for more. <laughs> yeah, there's always there's always more needed and you're, I mean, it's, it's always a fight. To get funding you need for everything. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's like advocacy is an is an everyday thing. It's not just a yes, yeah. When you've got a crisis on your hands, or when you need, you know, a new building, when you need a lot of new resources, it's an everyday situation. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, you've been um, keeping yourself busy recently. You were on the uh, volunteer team at at IFLA. Yes. The, the the unique experience of of leading kind of the the VIPs. <laughs> tell me about that um well it was funny actually because how it started was that uh well it was twofold the reason I volunteered one of them was I had done Ruddy 23 and Mm -hmm. um I was reflecting on my professional development which was probably lacking slightly um you know a combination of geographical location and staff complement not to be bad about it but most of the conferences and the stuff are in Dublin which are is you know, just far enough away to be difficult and also staffing. But when I was reflecting on my professional development, I said, right, I'm going to make it a point to go to a conference or something every year. And I went to the academic and special libraries in 2019 and Marion was there and she was talking about the World Library Congress. And I said, oh, I'm definitely doing that. So that was why, partly why I volunteered. And also the World Library Congress in Dublin. Why would you not? Yeah, I know. And it's a great way go to the conference yeah and go to the without having to either stump up yourself for the cost which is yeah small amount, or if you're in a smaller library even getting to one day is going to be tricky from a exactly. staff, as you said, financial perspective um yeah so I said definitely so I signed up but I signed up actually to volunteer in in 2020 and obviously then you know we all know what happened next um so when it came around again in, in 2022, I said, no, I'm definitely doing this. I just said to my boss, I'm going. And she was like, excellent, off you go. Um, so, yeah, I signed up to volunteer, uh, led by the mighty, mighty Ava Hornung, um, about whom too many good things cannot be said because she's just... There are not enough good good things to say yeah, about she's just Hornung. And anyone who says anything even remotely, not glowingly positive about Ava Hornung is just a broken person. Exactly. Exactly. No, she was brilliant. Um, Yeah. And I just kind of signed up. I said, you know, I could, you know, I speak a bit of German and Italian, but I wouldn't be confident enough. So I basically put my name down to do everything bar interpretation and transport, I think it was. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I find myself when I got my schedule, it said uh, VIP handling IFLA president. And I was like, oh, okay, that'll be interesting. And then I find (laughs) myself. What the hell's that? (laughs) I, I was looking at it going, oh, all right, that'll be interesting. And then I find myself on the Sunday when we were doing the training being called to um, one side with Aoife, who was um, also um, volunteering and, and kind of my opposite number with the president um, and being told very seriously, uh, you know, this is her schedule and, you know, this is what she'll be doing for the week and going, oh, God, mm-hmm. Um and then going, how the hell did I? I was like, why can't I just be in a room? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, 
I suppose it was it was nerves, really, you know, and we hadn't met her and like it looked like a very intense schedule and a fairly intense job. Um, thankfully, Barbara was absolutely lovely. Um, and we had a brilliant time. I ran around the place all week. You and... did. Every time I saw you, you were just like <laughs> whizzing past me, <laughs> whizzling, ferrying Barbara Lisa onto another location. Yeah, and sometimes Barbara would say, okay, you know, the treasurer and the head of the regional council, so you're not only hurting her, you're also shepherding other, you know, important people as well uh, and saying, no, we have to go here and you have to come with me and we have to do this. Um, it was brilliant. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I did, probably didn't get to go to as many talks, um, but I got to meet so many lovely people. I did get to go to some talks if you were if she was sitting in on a talk, you know. Um, but I got to talk to so many wonderful different librarians from all over the world. I got to reunite with people, you know, Stephanie Ronan, yourself, David, so many people I hadn't seen meeting people for the first time. I mean, Isabel, my team lead, she was my herself and Mary Buckley were on the L2L digital badge that I did last year. Um, Nadina, who now works in physicians, who I've been dying to meet. Um, she's on the ASL committee with me as well. She's I great. Hadn't met, I hadn't met her in person until yeah. either. So it was it was lovely. There was reunions. There was meeting people for the first time. Going, oh my god, I only saw you on a screen. Um, and then just having wonderful conversations. I had an incredible conversation at the culture night with um, two librarians from New Zealand, and they're both Maori. So we had a really interesting conversation about post-colonialism mm-hmm. and living in a post which that's another podcast. Um, yeah. I had a great conversation with um, a librarian, uh, two librarians from Syria who had set up kind of mini libraries for children of healthcare workers during the pandemic. That was so inspirational. Um, you know, talking to David and him setting up the the ETBI, the digital library, just going around. Space time. Yeah, going around, getting brilliant ideas, kind of going, oh, that sounds good. And oh, I must think about that. And I just came back totally rejuvenated and inspired by the whole thing. I had a whale of a time for four days, the four or five days that I was there. It was absolutely brilliant. And it was such a it was a great opportunity to meet people and to network. Um, And I was delighted to see kind of so many uh, library students there as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like and actually um, my library assistant now, she's doing the 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 masters uh, remotely. Um, this was her, and I, I was laughing. I was like, her first conference is the World Library Congress. Like, you know, it was like we set the bar very high. <laughs> yeah, well, it's particularly valuable for somebody or something like that who's doing um their library qualification remotely because you always feel like you're missing out on that sort of comradeship that you have if you're doing you know, a full-time course with a cohort that you're going to go out into the working mm. world with. I mean, I did mine distance because it was. A, the second postgrad so yeah so much and it was working in libraries but I always did feel that, that when I was doing it like am I missing out on something here and not being you know having that full-time experience with a group of people mm. I think as well for library students because I felt this when I was you know when I was in library school or when I'm in, in UCD um it was partly imposter syndrome you know I, I kind of didn't feel like I should be uh, like I belonged at conferences and um, I felt yeah. like I shouldn't be there which was so silly you know because obviously 
95% of librarians are absolutely brilliant, you know, and you go that, to a and conference. As we, as we said at the beginning of this conversation, some of them not so, though. Some of them not so. The but ones that you meet at conferences and that actually go out and go, go to stuff and are interested, they're all yeah. great. Yeah, um, and like the amount of times people who, they've, I've just met them at a conference, like Marie O'Neill, you know, being a prime oh, example yeah. of this, you meet Marie and the next thing you know, she's just, they're so helpful and they're so welcoming as well. Um, so I think I'd say that actually for new librarians or people who are in library school or maybe thinking about doing the qualification, do go to mm -hmm. conferences. You will be made to feel welcome. You won't be made to feel like you shouldn't be there. And, you you know, network, 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 get to know people. Like I can pick up the phone or send an email and say, look, can you, can you help me out with this? Can you, you know, do you have any advice on this? And people will... 95% of the time will say absolutely you know or here's what we did have a look at that and see what you can do with it yourself you know the advice is brilliant willing to to get back to you and help you out and see yeah. you as a, as a colleague like, mm. you know, might not in my case it might not might not get back to you today but I will always get, <laughs> get back to people exactly exactly yeah so it sounds like it was a, a good experience you got to kind of see the other side of it as well being on the tier end of it it's, yeah, seeing like, the organizational mm, the power behind it all as well. Yeah, there was slightly, it was kind of one of those things where I really enjoyed it, but I would have no interest in the kind of corporate governance. You know, it's interesting to be, to see it um, and to be near it, but I was also like, no, I've no interest in, in that because obviously there was, you know, a lot of talk about the IFLA governance issues and, and, and things mm. like that that were going on in the background, yes. swirling. Tricky conversations, mm. necessary conversations. Yeah, no, they were very necessary conversations. Um, but but it was great. And I will say Barbara, who had an absolutely God love her. She had an absolutely packed schedule, was really lovely from from day one, was lovely the whole way through. And it was it was lovely to be able to spend time with her. I really, really enjoyed it. It was great. And now you can add uh, VIP Wrangler to your CV. <laughs> VIP handler. <laughs> available special, to specialising in kind of A-list librarians. Available to uh, herd, shepherd, bully um, uh, VIP librarians from one place to the other as needed. Um, no, it was great. Um, I think one of the, I didn't get to go to many talks, but one of them I did get to sit in on was the Emerging Global Leaders, um, which was just, oh my God, you know, you're looking at these young I'm not old, but at the same time, these really young 20 year olds um, and going, what have, and, and sitting there going, what have I done with my life? Um, you know, yeah, that's usually my thing when I'm watching people like that. I'm like, what am I doing with this? Yeah, you need it's good. That's what those conferences are good for. It's perspective, it's being able to take yourself out of the mundanity of some of the you know, sometimes mm. necessary minutiae that you yeah. can get bogged down yeah. in, in the day to day and just remember what. The bigger picture is all about exactly and one of them one of them a young brazilian librarian she's she was talking about sustainable libraries and green libraries and i'm i'm involved in our green campus committee here so i was just you know soaking it all up um and kind of taking notes and saying okay i need to go back and start doing this and start doing that and start pushing on um because that's really important as well and something that libraries really you know can Absolutely. lead the way in libraries who are in countries that are 
right now bearing the brunt of of climate change like we Mm. haven't yet begun to have these huge impacts um in our day-to-day life in terms of massive climate change you know we could say that we're starting to see um differences in weather patterns and what we have yeah um, yeah streams of weather but we haven't really been hugely adversely impacted by it yet but you talk to people then from you know global south and from from regions that are right now feeling the consequences of climate change and how they're yeah. having to adapt to it and it makes you it's that jolt of reality of like look this isn't something on the horizon or something we need to prepare for or something that just a little bit of recycling on the campus is going to help with we actually need to look at the bigger picture here that this is yeah it's happening it's happening now and there's not a lot that we can do to stem the tide so we need to adapt and adjust and do what we can Absolutely. And one of the big things, and it actually came up in our green campus when we were getting our green campus assessment and, and she brought it up again, is is energy management and energy consumption. You know, obviously, since COVID, a lot of things have moved online, but that's still all of that is energy. Um, you know, the amount of emails that we're sending, the amount of all of those things, the amount of meetings that we're having online that requires energy, you know. Um, so I'm seriously I'm I'm starting to really kind of get into that and and look at it in terms of like what well, what can we do in terms of energy management energy consumption how do we you know it's all you know having conversations online and having remote work you know and kind of switching to maybe a paperless system is is great in one sense but it's still consuming just as much energy as if you were cutting down trees and I think people maybe don't realize that um, and aren't aware of it um, the amount of data that we're generating um, that requires information to store it um, so I think maybe that's something that I'm really going to be thinking about over the next while um, and how we can change it even just if it's a simple thing of like you know are we, how many emails are we sending do we need to be sending as much emails uh, even maybe tidying up our email inboxes we don't need to keep absolutely everything that requires all of that requires data requires places to store it um, and that requires energy to maintain and to use it like you know so that, I think that's something that I'm really going to be thinking about and in, in terms of the library as well you know uh, what are we doing here um, yeah. and making you know um, using our position as purchasers uh, as library purchase to to hold um, you know, something that I think about when I'm kind of buying products from these big suppliers it's, you know, if you're in a position to write you know a spec for say a tender or something is trying to make sure that you're including um specifications in there about um companies outlining what their sustainability practices are yeah. and trying to get that in reading and trying to just be kind of was ethical about the companies that we deal with and yeah. hold them to account because as as purchasers we wield power in, in that as well. We don't have a huge amount of power in, in libraries to be able to affect change in the way that these other areas of the organisation would. But we we purchase a lot of databases and resources. We deal with a lot of big global suppliers. Um, and as consumers of those products, we have some power in being able to hold them to account and make, make sure that we know what their positions are on sustainability yeah. and to not, to not purchase from organisations that are Absolutely. less than that. 
absolutely and and just even kind of being you know UCC did great job did great work um and big admirer of their green campus campaign um you know just leading the way you know features of their um their hydroponics to some yeah here it's like this is what to be doing just literally making the the campus green I was very very jealous of their 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 harvest yeah well we took yeah you know but we took our we took the kind of small as the small changes big impact um scenario that I spoke about earlier into the green campus as kind of you know we are a small college but if we all make small changes it will eventually add up to a big impact you know what I mean and and I think we're probably we can do it as a smaller college you know mm-hmm. um yes you still have to deal with big suppliers but we can be you know um like all the students here were very supportive of us when we started the green campus and still are now you know COVID kind of stalled it a little bit like you know but they're all and they're all interested as well the students were delighted that we were doing it and they have their own concerns as well and they were kind of going, yeah, let's do this and let's not be afraid to be bold and come up with ideas and come up with changes and maybe think about things a bit more. Um, it was great. And, you know, during our Green Campus presentation, they said that, you know, that they were because we had staff and students across the board, um, you know, um, involved in it, which was they, they they really liked. And that's what you want. You know, it's not just one sector of the organization doing it. It's that it's across the organization. But I think libraries can, you know, like you said, as purchasers, but also start the change, you know, start the movement as well. You know, it's great. We'll all be yeah. radicals and rebels. Fantastic. Hopefully we all are a little bit. I think so. More, more of that, please. Less of the, <laughs> you know, the whatever, 5% of librarians who aren't that interested. No, no, or but we will. <laughs> we'll save that conversation for another day. Um, I should let let you go. Um, I get back to um, your students. Um, but it was lovely talking to you. And thank you so much for thank joining you. me. It was great. Day. I had a really good conversation there. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about everything and anything under the sun. But that's the great thing about being a librarian is that you know, you get involved in so many different things. It's a it's a wonderful profession, you know. All right. Thanks so much, Ruth. Thanks a million, Laura. being a great guest um, an all-round legend and for being very patient because we've been meaning to record that interview for a very long time more episodes are on the way so make sure to subscribe to get them when they land you can subscribe on all the usual podcasting places so apple uh, spotify and stitcher or go back and catch up with past episodes if you're a new listener Librarians Aloud is produced and presented by Laura Rooney-Ferris. Music and sound design are by Michael Ferris. <laughs>